the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Hello. Hello. Coming to you live from Studio 3. It's the Worldview Media Podcast. I'm your co-host, Gordon Runyon, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tucumcari. And with me today is a woman who, with the help of a killer robot from the future, (laughs) fought her way out of a mental institution, my wife, Joyce. That's right. I was put there unjustly. (laughs) Unjustly. It was a miscarriage of justice for sure. Why, whatever could we be talking about today? Right, and what is normal anyway? I mean, seriously. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I was going to say, and with me is a woman who, like many of our listeners, sleeps through portions of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Studio 3. <laughs> It's only when I'm ill and close to death. <laughs> In the throes of the consumption. <coughs> Speaking of. Hang on, Ma. <laughs> the doc's coming to bleed you. Ah, the consumption. <laughs> okay. Well, so here we are. Our uh, topic today is the movie from the 90s, Terminator 2. Terminator 2. T2. Right. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And there were three, as far as I know, there may be something else. There were three Terminator movies. The original. Yeah. The original, which was one, and then this one, which is two, and then the next one, which is sometimes called three. What was that one really called? (laughs) The Rise of the Machines. I thought there was a Salvation or a... See, I'm thinking there's other Terminator stuff Mm. that we don't know about. Terminator 3 was so bad, I don't remember it. You blocked it out. (laughs) I'm, I'm fairly sure I saw it. But I don't mm. remember it. I think Terminator Salvation might have been like a TV series. I thought it was another movie, but this had a female Terminator in it. Yeah, I don't know. You, you've gone beyond my level of Terminator mm. knowledge. Well, I know I didn't see the last two, or at least I have no memory of them. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, in the Terminator franchise, science fiction franchise, the concept is that a corporation called Cyberdyne Systems Mm -hmm. creates a computer system that pretty much is capable of governing everything. Well, it becomes sentient. sentient. There's a point in time where it becomes self-aware and quickly decides to eliminate humanity, and it does so by launching missiles from the United States into the then Soviet Union, and they retaliate and launch nuclear warheads. Yeah, it pretty much destroys everything. 
And so what happens is the remnant of humans who remain find themselves being hunted down and and exterminated by uh, Skynet and machines. machines that, uh, they have like robot aircraft, spacecraft, and they have these robot soldiers that are called Terminators. And... They're tough as nails, hard to destroy, and, and so it's a big battle between the remnant of humanity and the Terminators. And at one point, the leader of the human resistance named John Connor finds a way through Skynet's technology, Ooh. finds a way to send people back or machines back. Only one thing can go back. Yeah. Well, he sends... The first time he sends a a human back to save his mom. See what Skynet decides. It, it somehow has time travel technology and it decides to send back a Terminator to eliminate John Connor's mom so that Connor himself is not born and then he, no he can't lead the resistance. Yeah. And in the first movie then, John Connor uses the same time travel technology to send a human savior back to try to rescue Sarah Connor and fight the Terminator. So in Terminator 2... But wait, this one guy isn't just the one to protect her. He's oh, he also, also, yeah, he winds up being his own father. Not his own father, but John Connor's own father. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the guy is not his <laughs> own father. <laughs> I have my own grandpa. <laughs> Remember that dumb song? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop making me laugh. <laughs> Hang on, Ma. I think you like me coughing too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. You have a drink break. I'm just gonna leave that in the podcast. And so, continuing to recap things, then in Terminator 2, the uh, Skynet decides to go after John Connor himself after he, had, he was a teenager. So, Skynet sends a Terminator back to destroy John Connor, and adult John Connor captures a Terminator and reprograms it and makes well, it... Well, it doesn't say all of that. Yeah, it does. Well, okay. <laughs> when? <laughs> At the very beginning. Oh, when he's talking to the boy? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> he reprograms uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator and sends him back to protect himself when he was a little kid. <clears throat> to protect the boy. When he was a ute. He was a ute. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so the Terminator that is sent back in this movie is a new, more advanced model. model. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's tough and all that, but this bad guy is tougher and oh, more he's advanced. He's the latest technology. Yeah, he's a, he's a big deal. <clears throat> he's like the T-1000 or what's the T-3000 or something. Yeah, he's improved. And... And Schwarzenegger's model is like 7B or something. Yeah, zero. 
Terminator Three comes around, and like I say, I don't, I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're looking at Terminator Two, and there are some, there are some worldview issues that are, that are prominent that we'll talk about. But here we want to just talk about overall impression and what you thought about the quality of the movie itself. <laughs> Understanding what it was, it was at the time it was a summer blockbuster mm-hmm. sci-fi special effects action adventure with the Arnold and uh yeah. but what do you think Well, I think it's still a pretty good movie. Uh it doesn't go off the rails like maybe some of the later movies. Oh yeah. So it was still a I, sometimes when you have that second movie that comes out, yeah. It's really not as good as the first one or right. You're like, "Oh, they were just trying to go on the head of steam they had off the first and get some more uh, revenue built in, but it's a pretty good movie, and I like the the transition in the character of Sarah Connor, because uh-huh. in the first movie, she's really kind of a helpless person, scared and freaked out and can't believe yeah, this is happening, right. and uh, you see that she's really transformed herself in this one, and, and she's ready to go out and do some business, <laughs> even though she is in uh, an institution at the present, you know, she's always trying to break out and get out and find her son. And, you know, yeah. she's got a mission and she's intent on that, on achieving that in whatever way she can. And, and of course we get to meet John as a, as a younger person who thinks his mother really is crazy. Yeah. You know, he was with her running, running down South, <laughs> not knowing what was normal. Right. Thinking that was normal and somehow... She's on a mission. She's basically homeschooling him where the only subject of the the education was to... Military. (laughs) Train him to be a soldier. Yeah. Right. And then he kind of freaks out when he realizes, wow, it's all true. Yeah. 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 Well, I thought just in terms of the movie as a movie, just an escape thing, I thought... It really was a really fun action adventure. The chase scenes were really pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the action was just really fun. And, you know, they combined the sci-fi element with stuff. And it was, it's a fun movie, pretty tense. Well, you can tell it's an older movie, but yeah. it doesn't look like a cheesy movie. Right. Even though you've had right. this passage of time and it's been... You know, it's yeah. been a while since it was made, and it still has a, a good quality. For everybody that was wondering, the the nuclear war was supposed to have started in 97. So, so they changed the future. <laughs> they were successful. <laughs> so I didn't have a whole lot of problems with storytelling and stuff like that. And, and I thought, looking back on it, some of teenage John Connor's lines are kind of cheesy and and all that it is an 80 80s movie yeah. and so it comes with its own amount of cheese well and they were looking for the you know the, the infamous taglines and oh yeah hasta la vista baby yeah yeah so i mean there's some some of that stuff in there too right okay so overall if you're just looking for an hour and a half of just kind of escapist action stuff it's it's not a bad flick although we had noticed on this 
version that we had that there were some new scenes that we didn't really remember oh, from. Yeah, yeah. It was an expanded version we saw. Yeah. And I think your comment was, eh, didn't really need them. <laughs> <laughs> right. They were deleted for a reason. They didn't really add anything. So let's take our break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more in depth. Take it away, Mr. Sanchez. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. All right, we're back. We're talking about Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and uh, we're going to kind of try to apply the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model and determine what kind of worldview is being preached here. And the first point in the covenant is transcendence, and a lot of the time in fiction, this is where uh, this is where you'll run into like thematic statements that have big picture this is how the world works sort of topics and in terminator 2 there's a line that's repeated several times john connor mentions it's a, it's a line that his mom drilled into him while she's training him in combat and stuff mm -hmm. and that line is there's no fate but the one we make and so Time travel is a big deal in this movie, and the issue is if you could go back and and in time and change the future to avoid a really horrible tragedy, but you had to the only way to do it was by killing somebody who hadn't yet done anything wrong wasn't yet a villain, but you could kill them and avoid the whole thing. It would be like kind of if you could go back in time and stop World War II and, and the genocide in Germany, if you could stop all that by assassinating Hitler's mom or something before she mm -hmm. gave birth to him, would you take that opportunity? And what would the ethics be in that? And so... Well, I think, first of all, you need to see that they have a random perspective of of the timeline. Yeah. The future's not fixed is well, what they say. It's all just it's random. Yeah. So if you just can do something to alter it, then you can do whatever you want to. Right. Um but that that's of course saying, Well, who is sovereign? Is anyone sovereign? 
Right. Well, it would seem to be the closest thing to sovereign would be the one who had the time machine, you know? <laughs> so it would have to be science then. Well, yeah, I guess so. You know, because if you have the technology and the and the wherewithal to build this thing where it works and you can go back, then... Yeah, then what would stop you? Then you, you would be sovereign. From, yeah. Which is kind of funny <laughs> to me because it's called Judgment Day, but, you know, they really want to not face Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah, they're avoiding Judgment <laughs> <You know>. Day. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that phrase, there's no fate other than the one we make. That's a very humanistic way of looking at time and history and mm -hmm. the christian view fate really is a pagan view the bible doesn't teach a fate or a fatalistic sort of thing calvinists get accused of believing in a fatalistic view of of history and we really don't that's not what the bible teaches i believe the bible teaches a soft determinism which is much different than fate such that i think the the truth is that our our unforced <coughs> decisions, our choices, and the things that we do, those tend to reveal the will and plan of God for our lives. Uh, God's plan is very often revealed by what we choose to do. And fate is very much different where, you know, the classic example, if you're sick with a fatal disease and you're offered the medicine that will cure you, a fatalist would say, well, if I'm fated to live, then I'll live, and it won't matter if I take the medicine or mm. not, because it's fate. And if I'm fated to die, then it won't matter if I take the medicine, because I'll <laughs> die anyway. Wasn't that also a nod back to mythology with the... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the Greeks the had the fates who... I, I believe the fates were even in charge of the gods. And they uh, had the scissors. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of interesting to note that a belief in fate eliminates the importance of your choices. Of your personal actions. Yeah, nothing you do. <laughs> since nothing you do matters. And I think there's something to be said about that in terms of Arminianism and synergism, because if you... If you demand that God really doesn't have a plan except for what you choose, uh, you're kind of in the same place. Mm. And you're ignoring the the decree of God for history and all. And so I think the humanist cry is, if we're under God, then it's his plan and not our choices that, that are important. And so we're going to rebel against that idea, and instead we're going to say... There's no fate but the one we make. When really the, the truth of the matter is that God's plan, his determination of the outworking of history, includes the choices that you make. And mm -hmm. his plan works through those choices and is compatible with them. And so we all every day make a myriad of unforced choices. Which are real. Yeah, they're real choices, and we make them based on what we most desire in any circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so we do, ha we do have that measure of freedom. God allows us to choose that which we most desire, as long as it's consistent with our nature. And if God's in charge, then you're not going to change the future by making a choice, because your choice is already part of God's plan. 
whatever that choice is. Yeah. And so that's interesting, but but you really are right that the movie itself then by by saying there's no fate by but what we make it, it really is an attempt to get rid of the notion of god and a and a plan for history mm-hmm. and a lot of people have pointed out if there's not a plan for history then there's no meaning to history yeah. either and god didn't mean us to learn or or anything like that okay so as far as transcendence goes then uh, Terminator 2 images a world where there's no God in charge of history. And in fact, the closest you get to that is people making decisions and performing actions. And that's what's really in charge. And like you mentioned, if you then have the technology or the wherewithal to go back and change things, that really puts you in a an even more God-like position mm-hmm. there. Okay, and then... Point two of the covenant is hierarchy or representation, and if there's a if there's a character in the movie that seems to embody or live out that basic worldview, I think it's got to be Sarah Connor. Do you mm-hmm. feel like? I was thinking about her. <clears throat> She's the one. Her whole life is kind of bent on trying to do what she can to change the future or. Or uh, the future that she believes is on its way, she's going to try to make choices and decisions to uh, affect the impact and cause her own son to survive. And mm-hmm. So she's going to modify the future by her choices now. Really, I don't think that's too much of a... There's some truth to that. I mean, we don't know the future infallibly. But we do have broad outlines of the future in the Bible, and that really should affect choices that we make and, and decisions and how we live now. And I think that obviously is true when you contrast what I think is a biblical eschatology with the defeatism of, say, dispensationalism. Uh, if you really believe that things are going down the drain and that's how they're supposed to go, mm-hmm. and you're not going to change that, that that really can do nothing other than nothing affect, positive. <laughs> yeah, how's that not going to affect your decision making? And specific, specifically, when it comes time to think about investing in long term goals and accomplishments and stuff, you know, if you believe all your endeavors are doomed to failure, and you know the world's on the on the way down, why? Why would you continue to build? And like the dispensationalists have said, that uh, if you work for making things better, reforming things here on the earth, that's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And, you know, it's not going to keep the ultimate fate from happening. And well, and I think we talked about this just a little bit when we were watching um, the season finale of the. Curse of Oak Island, that uh, a lot of our thinking with how we have to build things and our timelines, and we don't want anything to take any amount of time. You know, it's all about, well, we got to get it done in five months. We got to get it done in three months. We got to get it done (laughs) in six months. And yet, all over in Europe, they have these spectacular buildings that took 
yeah decades to build right and they were okay with it taking decades to build right because they <clears throat> wanted something that was going to last for centuries and then you know the thing of it also is they didn't used to live that long either <laughs> right so maybe their whole life they spent working on this one thing sure and maybe yeah. you never even saw it completed so just a real change in how we look at time and how we value time as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, our perspective has been changed, I think, by dispensationalism especially. Uh, it's not just that we're a microwave culture or, or that sitcoms have trained us that every problem needs to be resolved in 22 minutes. It's not just that. It's the fact that our theology has told us this is the last generation and and we're out of here mm -hmm. and uh that's going to change how long you feel like you can wait for results yeah for sure so sarah connor and to a lesser extent really every other character in the show tends to represent that idea of a purposeless history and future and then we come to the third point of the covenant which is ethics and this is in the bible this is all the commandments that deal with you should do this and you shall not do this and mm -hmm. in literature and in the movies that we watch we ask the question how do our characters face significant moral dilemmas and that's going to reveal something about the worldview the big moral dilemma that sticks in my mind you might think of something other than this but when sarah connor makes the decision that she can stop skynet by murdering the computer Inventor. scientist who is responsible for getting the ball rolling that's a significant moral dilemma mm -hmm. that she has there and what i thought was interesting about it in terms of storytelling is when she goes to kill this guy and her initial attempt is unsuccessful, it shows then she just destroys everything around and, and it shows her stalking the guy and uh, he's terrified and here comes Sarah Connor. She's loaded for bear and she's going to kill him and, mm -hmm. and she's just walking purposely toward him to do that. It strikes me that in that moment she had become a Terminator. Herself, you know? yeah. Yeah, and that skynet's original strategy that they were going to kill her to eliminate john connor mm -hmm. now she's using the exact same strategy she's going to go wipe out this innocent guy who you know doesn't intend any aware. evil at all yeah. and hasn't done mm -hmm. this thing yet she's going to wipe him out and, and get the future that she desires and so i thought that was a striking image that I'm not sure it was intentional, but for me, I saw it that in that moment, she had adopted a Terminator philosophy and mm -hmm. and had become one herself. And I thought that was interesting. And like I say, it does go back to those sorts of moral dilemmas. If, if you could go back and kill Hitler when he was a baby, you know, just a cute little baby in the, <laughs> in the crib, would you do it? And knowing that you could save all this turmoil in the future and so that's a to me that's an interesting moral dilemma also the the book that stephen king wrote called the dead zone mm -hmm. 
was about a guy who develops psychic powers and he's able to see that this one particular politician in the future will, you know, maybe bring on nuclear war. And he has an opportunity to assassinate this politician. Will he take it? What mm -hmm. will he do? And that was kind of the same moral dilemma well, there. But in the movie you have then um, the son coming and rescuing his mom from that situation. And and then they explain to the computer guy, yeah, this is what the deal is. And, of course, he's, he's shocked and appalled. Right. Never saw that end from what he was doing there. And his immediate response is, we got to destroy everything. Right. <laughs> you know, everything in my house, everything at the business, so let's go and do it. And so, you Love know, just it. getting him on board. Yeah, I think that was the other moral dilemma I had in mind. This this scientist guy himself is faced with a dilemma. They have to, first they have to convince him that their version of the future is real and it's the one that's coming. Mm -hmm. You know, thankfully they have this killer robot from the future who can has the same hand in <laughs> right. his office yeah. so they're able to prove it to him but now he's got to decide do I give up everything that I've been working for based on really what just these kooks that were shooting at me two minutes ago what what mm. now they're telling me so that was significant and he of course decides like you said that he's got to help them modify the future mm-hmm well, and I think you see that again, this programmer guy, when they're at the office and things kind of go go south. <laughs> yeah. And they've got all these explosives set up and somehow he winds up with a detonator. Yeah. And he makes, he makes it, he knows he's going to die. Yeah. And he lets Sarah know, uh, I'm pretty much done for. And she's <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to leave then. But all these other tactical officers that are in there trying to subdue the situation, you know, he could have taken them out with him. Yeah. And he didn't do that. You know, he he held on and they came up and they're like looking at him and he's like, look, I'm not going to be able to do this much longer. And they're like, everybody get out. Right. And so I just thought that was that was really interesting to have a character do that because that's not what happens all the time today in our movies where oh yeah you have a character that's going to die and they're just like well if i'm going i'm not going alone <laughs> right right yeah that's very interesting and then the other the other moral question that i thought was funny how they explored it teenage john connor is trying to tell his his terminator that's protecting him he's trying to convince him that he can't be killing people mm, yeah <laughs> and his quite his answer is always why because you just can't why and uh because you just can't okay and uh you know he never had a better answer for that the movie itself never had had a better answer for why can't if i've been designed to kill humans mm -hmm. how come now i can't kill humans well, you just can't. Well, why not? What gives them value? And it's never, it's yeah. never answered or addressed. And uh, they kind of come back to it at, at the end of the movie, but there's still not an answer given. It wasn't interesting. It was a funny scene where, where the Terminator was just about to shoot a guy, and John 
stops him and the guy runs away and John says, you were going to kill that guy. And he says, of course, I'm a Terminator. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> what do you expect me to do? And I felt like that was a ethical dilemma that they addressed, but they had no... Well, they didn't have an answer. Because... They, right, they had no basis for addressing it. Well, they they there was no answer in the way it the yeah. whole movie was coming from because right. if there's no fate, there's nobody in charge, there's nobody. Right. Why does it matter? Right. Yeah, they're just under the premise of the where they were coming from. There really wasn't. There really wasn't an answer. Right. But you do see that John is concerned with the people around him. You know, even with his bad foster parents. That. Yeah. I've got to call and let them know. Yeah. <clears throat> they're in trouble, and the Terminator tells them, "Well, oh, they're already dead." Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, that's what we always say. The atheist can be a good and moral person, you know, on a on a human level. He can be polite and mm-hmm. uh, gracious and charitable. It's just that his worldview doesn't give him any reason why he should be those things. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where we run into so much trouble in our society that, well, this was a good guy. And so because he was a good guy, because he was kind because he was thoughtful because he was caring then he should be in a good place oh yeah surely god will let him in yeah and that's not you know unfortunately that's not what the equation is (laughs) for admission and so i think that's that's really sad okay so the ethics of the movie were kind of consistent with the presuppositions of the movie i thought Mm -hmm. and then or at least they had better ethics than their presupposition in, in you know, John's reluctance to see people killed and all that. Okay, so point four, the covenant is sanctions and where we talk about do people get what they deserve. And uh, I'm not sure that much <laughs> blame can be assigned in, in a lot of places. Sarah Connor winds up kind of getting what she wanted the whole time. Mm-hmm. She walks away feeling like they had changed the future at the end of the movie. That's what it seemed like. No, I think in Terminator 3 it winds up that they did not, from what I remember, and I don't. Well, I always wondered what happened to the little hand that got stuck in the gears. (laughs) Yeah. Where did that go? Yeah, for those of you keeping track, Cyberdyne Systems had rescued a hand and a partial processor chip from the first Terminator. Mm-hmm. and that was what they were using they were kind of reverse engineering to create this advanced stuff and and so now at the end of the movie the Arnold Terminator insists that he needs to be completely destroyed too to just get rid of this technology and and so they do that but earlier in the in a fight scene in a fight scene he had lost an arm inside a couple of giant gears and uh as far as we know it's left there right yeah and so there's still a hand from the future pieces or something (laughs) yeah so there's not a processor though so no there shouldn't be a processor but but then i i do think in in the third movie that it comes out that they were not successful in stopping the judgment day that it happened anyway which then their view of time becomes something more like what Doctor Who has, where mm-hmm. in Doctor Who, you can go back and change some things, 
But some are set points. There are set points that are yeah. fixed, and not even a time lord like Doctor Who can mm -hmm. mess with those. Can reverse that. And it's never really answered, well, who decides that these things are fixed? Well, Somebody's fixing the these other. points, and yeah. who's doing that? It's somebody higher than the Time Lords and, and all that. And kind of seems like the same view of time hmm. travel eventually gets brought into the Terminator franchise there. Where some things you can change, and some things are going to happen no matter what you do. Which, oddly enough, becomes a, a version of fate. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't think the programmer guy got what he deserved. No, he got sanctions pretty rough on yeah. him. And it wound up being voluntary there at the yeah. end, I guess. But still kind of imposed on him in a way. Yeah, he had been shot and was probably going to die anyway, regardless of what he did so i don't think he got what he deserved yeah um and you don't really they they end the movie saying well you know now we just don't know what the future is going to hold because we've accomplished all these things so you know what is going to happen and so yeah i think is that more scary than the other one <laughs> <laughs> well there's still no plan it's all in the dark and yeah. they said the future was like a dark highway and mm -hmm. you only get to see what's illuminated Just in right your headlights in front of your, yeah and i thought oh that's terrible <laughs> yeah how is that better i hate driving like that <laughs> <laughs> right well that's what always gets me about uh people who who despise the thought that God is in charge even when bad things happen or that he's the one that has ordained that bad things happen. Mm -hmm. There are people who really hate that thought, but what's the alternative that he didn't want these things to happen and they happened anyway, mm -hmm. or, or that he didn't have a plan that they would happen and, and therefore there can't be any meaning behind them happening and, how is that more comforting? You know, that kind of shocks me a little bit. And then you kind of mentioned at the end of the movie, we do kind of get into point five of the covenant in terms of succession and what's going to be the result of the actions that have taken place in this movie and what's the future hold. And we can't know anything. Yeah, consistent with the beginning presuppositions, yeah. it's all up in the air. With kind of the... With kind of the admonition, you know, the future, we've avoided this bad future, and now who knows? So go out there and give it your best shot, or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Which is kind of not silly. terribly inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it is a Terminator movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is a Terminator movie. That's true. All right. So you have anything else? I just think it, you know, it ends kind of, kind of flat. Yeah. To me, you know, for all the, the, the drama and the <laughs> it's kind intensity, of a and then it's just like I'm driving down a dark road and I can't see nothing. And <laughs> it just kind of peters out, right? Yeah, it, I don't know. It reminds me of the, you know, men love darkness instead of light, and yeah, they think that the light that they shine on their path is enough to illuminate their way and. And they're just in the dark. Yeah. And they don't know one. where they're going. Good one. And, you know, what is your destination? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you can. <laughs> <laughs>
You don't need to be on that broad road in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Repent. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that was Terminator 2. I think we both enjoyed it. It's it's just kind of a fun movie to watch. And Well, it was a memory. <laughs> and, and especially with the the 80s cheesiness that's kind of funny too when it happens it probably wasn't at the time but now now yeah. it's kind of funny kind of funny i think just before we go though it was a while back we did a podcast on a reality show called the curse of oak island mm-hmm. and the current season for that show has ended and now we're all in a better place <laughs> and i just thought we'd revisit it oh. because that the final episode well, the episodes that have been broadcast since we podcast about it really have really been pretty significant in showing that a lot of the elaborate uh, rumors about what was going on on Oak Island, that there's more evidence than yeah. ever. that seems more foundational. <laughs> yeah. Now. That there really was this tunnel system. 150 feet beneath the island that was dug out by Who knows? people in the Middle Ages mm-hmm. and that they really did construct a booby trap system that would let in seawater if somebody tried to get in there the wrong way. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that, you know, they found gold from 150 feet under and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And so the, the really... <laughs> kind of the wild things where you think, okay, if it's if all the weirdness is true, this is going to be how it is. And now they've got serious hard evidence that it is true. And, uh, and they still haven't found anything. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't found the big stuff yet. But you know, that's where you and I got to talking about how the the men in charge of the search, the Lagina brothers, that they. Mm-hmm. They do seem to have an unusual amount of patience mm-hmm. for people of our day. Yeah. And they are willing to invest. Mm-hmm. And, and take the time. And take the time and do it right. And they're they're happy to, you know, like Edison said, he didn't, he didn't fail a hundred times on his way to creating a light bulb. He just found 99 ways not to create a light bulb, you yeah. know, and. And the the Laginas kind of seem to be the same way, where they they're willing to take negative results as progress because now they know where the treasure isn't, <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of an amazing. I don't know where they got it from, but they have they have a kind of an unusual view that allows them to be patient. And, well, and I think the older brother more so maybe than the younger yeah, brother. Yeah. I think he gets a little bit more frustrated and like, yeah, the little can't we is, just say, okay, <laughs> we're done. Yeah. <laughs> the younger brother's pulling his hair out a lot more than the older brother. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we just thought we'd revisit that because wow, crazy stuff really happening there. I know. All right. And so far underground, it's it's amazing. It is. Amazing. It is. All right, just for the two of you who are still listening at this point <laughs> of the podcast, <laughs> thanks for joining us again on uh, Worldview Media Podcast, where we're trying to learn as storytellers <laughs> and media creators to tell stories that manage to preach a biblical worldview without having to sound all preachy about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, so until next week, God bless y'all. Say bye, Mama. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.